Welcome to The Chapel Online. At The Chapel, we're about helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus, in the city, and around the world. Well, good morning. My name's Kevin McKee. I'm the lead pastor here. If we've not met, I would love to meet you. I'll be in the lobby after the service uh, just to get to know you. You know, uh, the chapel is a church with two locations. You may not know this if you're new to our church, but we have um, on any given Sunday seven services uh, in, our, in our church. We have a communion service at 745 in the building next door to our chapel LSU location. It meets from 745 to 830. We have two here. We have two at um, uh, our LSU location. And then at night, our college ministry has two services. Tonight, there'll just be one because of the holiday. So we're a church with seven congregations in a way, five adult congregations. And so um, if I haven't, you know, been able to shake your hand, it may be because I haven't been here in a minute or I just haven't been where you've been because people move around. But I'd love to meet you. We have all that going on. And, um, but we have one, we have one elder board. We have one budget, we have uh, one staff, um, and we have one purpose. And Stephen told you that. It's to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus on the campus of LSU, in the city of Baton Rouge, and around the world. I wanna thank you for hosting our Fall Fest here. It was just unbelievable. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people come to this location to see it in operation, but more exciting for me was how many of you stepped up and said, yeah, we'll do trunk or treat. We'll bring candy and sit outside and get sunburned and meet the neighbors. It was just awesome. Thank you for that. And I want to, I want to double down and say, you know, these opportunities to invite and serve, you may not know it. Maybe you haven't tried it in a, in a while, but people respond to personal invitation. You can just look at them and say, you know, if you're not part of a church family or if you're on a journey, um, why, don't you come, why don't you come to church with me? Particularly over the Christmas holidays, people respond. They'll join you and come uh, be here with us on a Sunday morning or one of our Christmas Eve services or one of the opportunities we have with the chapel kids or chapel women. It's just a, a, an unbelievable way to just invite. Invite people to be a part of your life, not just come to a thing, but be a part of what you're a part of. If you really want to top it off, go to lunch afterwards and say, tell me what you saw. Help me understand what you experienced. It's uh, what, what I think we forget as Christians is that there's a lot of people around us wondering what in the world is going on in the world around us. And um, if you're a faithful at church attender, that may really intrigue them and they might go, okay. And then the opportunity to serve at Wildwood. It's in the middle of the day. Uh, but if you have a, a long lunch break or you have the afternoon, oh, I can't tell you how powerful it is, the ministry that, that, that our church has had at Wildwood, and particularly many of you from the Chapel Segan location. It is just amazing. 20 years. Um, Charlotte, who, it's Charlotte Smith, who's helped pioneer this, these last few chapters, she was telling the staff that... Um, under the blessing of the principal, she has a thing called First Friday Fellowship, where uh, she invites teachers, anybody that wants to come for a time uh, of fellowship. And so it is God-focused, it is Christ-focused, it's at a public school, it's not during the school hours, it's before, and the last time she was there, 17 teachers came. 
And in her, unique, if you know Charlotte, she attends this location. If you know her, then you know uh, she's really kind and gentle. And in that, with that persona, she uh, was able to, to bless them. And then she told us the most wonderful story about <clears throat> the principal thanking the chapel once again for the investment over 20 years of loving their children, loving their teachers, investing in their uh, facility. And she said she met with President Edwards and he was thanking her for helping them get their scores up. Um, and of course, I'm a little biased. I went to Wildwood, so I've got, a, I've got a vested interest. But she told the story and she said, you know, he had a moment where he got emotional and his gratitude for us. And, and she said, I was a little uncomfortable because there he is kind of emotional and here I am. And, I, and, and, then, and then she said, and I'm in a, a, a holiday uh, un, uh, costume. She's in a, a, a costume as this is all going on. And I said, it sounds perfect. It says sounds perfect. And so if you've never been there to bless that whole facility with our presence and all those kids love it, uh, I would ask you to consider going. So turn to your uh, chapter eight in your Bible, chapter eight of Genesis, first book of the Bible. If you have a device or a printed page, turn there. Something you can underline and mark, please. So if you use a version you can't mark, find a way to do that because it's a great way to go back and and remember. Uh, Steve's out today. He's on vacation with his wife, with his family, celebrating. And so you will have to settle for me. <laughs> yeah, you get that. Those of you who love Steve. You know, I, the chapel is on the 33rd month of a 36-month um, campaign. We called it Grow to Go. We'll, send, we'll finish it up in February. We have a lot to celebrate. But in 18 months leading up to that, the elders were praying for clear vision and then launched into that where we wanted to update our facilities. We wanted to create a leadership pipeline, an ascending pipeline, which we've been able to do, and fuel missions. What we didn't anticipate was two years of COVID. What I didn't anticipate in the midst of enduring those two years of COVID to have some significant tra uh, staff transitions, one was the site pastor here. What I was thrilled about is having Steve Elworth here week in and week out. It is, you, you get to benefit from the gifts that God has given him, but so do I. For almost 30 years now, I have been laboring in sermon preparation. And what that man can do with 15 minutes and a good idea is amazing to me. And it has been so helpful to me personally to have him on the team, to help sharpen my skills, and so I haven't had his help this week. So not only do you have to settle for me, but he's not had any input on this sermon. So it's going to be what it is. Genesis chapter 8. Every chapter of Genesis, have we not seen God expand our understanding and worldview of how he operates? Particularly this. We've seen God's redemptive heart constantly on display. We've seen in the flood story of Noah that God had justice to overcome evil, but in the midst of that, his heart for humanity would just shine through. You have to understand that the flood was not just, not just, a, um, just a, a judgment. One person called it an uncreation of the world. Because earlier in Genesis chapter 1, we see God separating the earth from the water. In Genesis chapter 6, we see the two combined back again. And we, um, as a, a person that Steve and I have both read in preparation for these weeks is a man named Christopher 
Watkin, every time we say it, Connor hears Christopher Walken, the, the, the actor, this is not the same person, okay? Not even close. Uh, but Watkins says this, uh, the dislocation caused by human sin is cosmic. It affects everything. It's ecological. It affects animals and people. And it's personal between us and God. And that is why the chapter of the covenant of God, and we'll see the covenant God makes with Noah today, is so broad and what it includes and how powerfully encouraging it is. But Noah and his family are going to emerge from the ark. That's what we saw that God said, you can come out, they come out. And that's where we pick up our story in chapter 8, verse 20. But at this Thanksgiving weekend, I wanted to correlate what happened with Noah with a salvation story. Maybe your salvation story. Because it's about a new beginning. God is, is creating the world anew, and he's giving Noah and his family a whole new start. That's why Jesus would say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this rabbi that would come to see him, this, this Pharisee that would come to see him under the cloak of darkness, to understand what Jesus was teaching, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have to, you have, to have a whole new beginning. The apostle Peter would refer to the flood as a, as a new beginning, as we'll see at the end of our service. The Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, um, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, she's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new is come. It's a whole new game. This is what we see in this story. So if you're a Christian here today and you've experienced salvation, my prayer is that you would know and celebrate just how awesome what God has done for you is. If you're not yet a Christian and you wonder, what is, what is this salvation in Christ about? Well, what you'll see is it's, it's like a brand new start. It is a brand new start. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's a whole new trajectory. It's a whole new hope. It's a whole new purpose. And Noah and his family have that. You know, how do you live in light of that? How should we live in light of that? So I want to I pray for us. I want to pray for myself and just to ask that, that if you're here and you need a new start, even after a holiday weekend, that you would not leave without taking it, without coming to the Lord and saying, you know, I need a fresh start today. I need, as the psalmist would say, I need the joy of my salvation again. I need that in my life I want to enjoy what you've given me. That would, be my, that would be my prayer for us today. There's nothing more oxymoronic than the sad, depressed Christian. But many, many folks struggle. And in light of that, I just want to go, wow, would it be that we could leave today on a new page, with new hope, with less fear as we move forward? So pray with me toward that end. Father God, thank you so much for a morning of worship and song. Oh God, oh God, how we need you. We sang it, we say it, we pray it. We do. Many need a new start. Many need more joy. Many struggle with fear. And I pray that today, Lord, you would meet us here, right here where we are, and you would minister to us from your word. We pray also for Steve, for Amber, as their way, that you would give them a rejuvenated spirit, a restful body, so when they come back, they would be eager to re-engage. Lord, we thank you for the family 
that we get to participate in, the family of God, as Connor said. And so, Lord, we, we lift up our time to you. and We ask that you work in our heart and life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So our, our notes, if you grab those, are blank because we've, we had a, a busy week, but the outline is pretty simple. Here's the question that we're going to look at Noah to help us answer. It's just simply this. What is an appropriate response to salvation? Because Noah has just experienced an unbelievable salvation. He had been on the ark for over a year without a shoreline anywhere. That's a pretty lonely place to be. And God rec- I mean, rescues him and, you know, all the world had become was violent and evil. And now there's a new dawn. There's a new day. And what would, what would be Noah's immediate response? Let's look. Verse 20. It'll be on the screen behind me if you don't have a device or a Bible. Now Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the, all of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. <laughs> That's it. Noah's first response, getting off the boat, having to wait for everything to change, is worship. He leads his family in worship. He brings some of all these clean animals that God had said, I need you to get seven pairs of those, and he offers a burnt offering. The very first thing he does is worship. And it's different than, than, you know, remember Abel brought his best, Adam's son, but he didn't build an altar. Seth another descendant of Adam and Eve after Abel. He, it says, the people began to call on the Lord, but he didn't build an altar. Noah builds an altar, and he begins to worship the Lord. When we looked at Noah's life, we saw that he walked with God. We saw that in chapter 6. It says he was a righteous man that walked with God. We saw throughout chapter 7 and 8 that he worked with God. Twice it said he did everything or all the things that God commanded. Peter says that he witnessed for God as a preacher of righteousness. And what we see here is that he work, he worships. It's all out. So what is an appropriate response to salvation? It's real simple, to worship God in total dedication. Total dedication. A burnt offering, as you read in Leviticus chapter 1, is when you bring an animal and the whole animal's consumed. You bring it all and you leave it all. You don't keep anything for yourself. There's nothing that, there's no food for you. There's nothing for you. It's all for God. It's, and it represents an absolute, total dedication. In verse 4 of Leviticus 1, you also see that God, it has this atoning effect for the worshiper. I'm bringing everything. Now, here we sing in worship. We, we, ga- we gather for worship. How, how about your worship? How do you do? Is it easy for you to bring your all and leave your all here? Is it, is it easy for you to worship with total dedication? I would say it's, it's probably not. We get distracted. We do. But that's what, that's, what, that's what it says here. Here's what it might look like. It's when you open your calendar, if you still have one, right? And you say, God, here's my calendar. Do with it what you want. My schedule's your schedule. Or unless, in my case, it's God, Mary first, my wife, and then God. <laughs> right? It's a joke, okay? She's awesome. Here's my schedule. This is when you open your checking account and you say, you are the provider of all that I have, and it's all yours. This is what it begins to look like. 
Here, here's my life. Here are my dreams. Here are the things you put before me. They're, they're yours. I'm bringing it all. And if you're on the backside of life, it's real easy to make the latter years of your life only about you. I deserve it. I've worked hard. I'm tired. I've done that. I've made the t-shirt. I've taught the class. I've written the, you know, the, the book for. I've done. These days are mine. As opposed to, I'm here, Lord. I'm here. That's what total dedication looks like. And what prevents us from total dedication? Bringing everything to God. It's usually when our hands are already full. All right? We can't bring everything to Him when we're holding on to things that we don't want to let go of. Let me give you two things that we tend to hold on to. Our successes. Our pride. We want the glory of it. We, want, we, we don't want to give God the glory. We want to hold on to it. And so it's real hard to come in when you, and worship God as all in all when you think you're all in all. And none of us would say that outright. We just live it. Right? I've got my successes. Or my failures. That's the other thing we hold on to. Because we, we don't want to say we were wrong. And so worship means that we bring our successes and we failures and we put them at the feet of God. Our successes, we thank you for the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the time, the space to do it. And with our failures, we confess and we say, I really blew this. I'm really sorry. Now you've got it all before him. Now you can worship wholeheartedly. I mean, King David would have this horrible public sin of adultery and he would pray and his prayer of repentance is recorded in the Bible, Psalm 51. And in it, it says this, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit within me? That's what, maybe that's what you need to have as you come to the Lord in this season. You know, make it a new day. Come to him and say, Lord, I want to learn how to worship to a new level. I want to bring my whole self. I want to sing with all my heart. I want to be totally open to you. Hmm. That's what, that's what uh, Noah does. And guess what? It made God happy. How do I know that? Verse 21. And the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart to himself, it's like God is talking to himself, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I have done. The phrase, and you know, he, he smelled the aroma. It's just a human way to say that God was pleased with what the worship that Noah brought. Paul would say the same thing of the sacrifice of Jesus. He would say this in Ephesians. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's pleasing to him. It's what Jesus said when he said, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. That's what, that's what Noah is doing. Now, before the flood, it says in chapter 8, verse 6, that God's heart was grieved because of everything that was going on. Here it says his heart is made light. He's like, this is true worship has been reestablished here. He says, I'm not going to curse the ground. Now, that's not contrary to what he said in chapter 3. The whole context explains, I'm not going to flood the earth again. I'm not going to bring judgment on the earth like this flood did. Never again will that happen. But he also states this, the human heart is still evil. The, the consequences of Adam's sin still pollute the human heart. Another global flood is not going to change that. 
That's a situation they're going to have to live with and continue to, to live with. And he's going to uh, continually deal with us in that regard. And we'll see in Jesus that he gives us a new heart. We'll get to that in a minute. Then God promises faithful springtime and harvest. Look in verse 22. As long as the earth endures, that's a long time, okay? Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The flood had interrupted the natural cycle of all things. And God said, you know what? This is not going to happen again. It's not going to happen again. He reaffirms the rhythm of days and weeks and seasons because without those, there's no assurance of the necessities of life. These verses give us hope, right? With, the, with the, in, uh, the invention of the light bulb, we don't really regulate our life by the sun or the moon. We kind of we live at our own whenever we want. But those rhythms are so critical to life. So when you go to bed at night, you can have hope that the sun's going to rise tomorrow and there will be a new day. When you turn a new leaf in the calendar, maybe like us, you've gotten... The, my, my wife's never completely migrated to the digital calendar, which just really frustrates me. Because, you know, if you just put it on the family calendar, everybody could see it. But as it is now, we all have to go to the refrigerator in our house and look at it and go, okay, there, yeah, there's a doctor's appointment. But you turn a new calendar page and you go, there's a new season coming. This is what this is saying. We might ignore sunset and sunrise. We might ignore the phases of the moon. We might ignore all of that. But creation is preaching a sermon every day. Every day. Season after season. And what, a, what it says is God is still concerned about this blue ball that is uniquely placed in the universe to sustain life. That's what it says. Over and over again. And it gives us hope. It gives us hope. Then starting in chapter 9, Paul, I mean, God's going to reaffirm the, the purpose of humanity. The purpose of humanity. So if you're creating the outline, it would be like this. What is an appropriate response to salvation? Well, it's to worship with full dedication, but it's also to live, to protect, and to enjoy life. And kind of three little movements there. The first one is, I want you to live life by multiplying. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Then the Lord blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Sounds very similar to chapter 1, verse 28, where God told Adam and Eve, Hey, I need you to be fruitful. And so that's what's going to happen. These eight people, that are, you're going to repopulate the earth. Your descendants are going to fill the earth. And it's a good thing. Though the heart of God is, is, is uh, about family, is communicated in lots of places. But one that I love is Psalm 27.3. It says this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born into one youth. I don't know if you had a chance to spend Thanksgiving with a little one, but we have a one-year-old, a grandniece at our house. And I was just going crazy around little Juliet. And I found this picture and I thought, you know, I was trying to tell my teenage kids and my older kids, um, there's a sweetness with children. There's an innocence, you know, before they hit ad adolescence. So for the adolescents in the room, sorry about that. It's not that you're less sweet. It's just you're more complicatedly sweet. God's heart is, you know, for family. I hope that you had some good time with family. It's always challenging, isn't it? 
to get all around the table with all our different views, but still love each other. Well, God loves family. He loves children. And he said, hey, you're going you're gonna to have the same purpose. But there's also something dissimilar about what God says in verse 2 from chapter 1. Here's what it says. Fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and all the fish in the sea that are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you, just as I gave you green plants. Now I'm giving you everything. The beautiful harmony that Adam and Eve enjoyed with all the animals is gone. It's gone. It's over. And not only that, but God says, hey, listen, your diet is going to change too. It used to just be vegetarian. Now it's going to include meat. And aren't, yes, thank you for that. And aren't we so glad <laughs> that it includes meat? Well, Cain, the murderer Cain, and he was a farmer. Abel, his brother, the one he killed, was a shepherd. Noah is now a hunter. He would hunt now, the bigger issue being established here is this, that life comes from God. That's what's being established. Animal life is now the proper food for humanity. And it is designed that in every meal, it should remind us that life is made possible only by taking another life, the death of another creature. We are alive only because other creatures have died on our behalf and sustain life. With the, with the industrialization of uh, slaughter of animals, you kind of lose that. But I remember as a boy, my dad had a strange idea, and it appeared strange to me most of my life until I got much older. He took me to a slaughterhouse of all places to bring a child. It was shocking to me that we would leave with the meat from the animal that was slaughtered but it, it's a memory I don't forget because that animal had to give its life that I can enjoy the breakfast that I would enjoy. And God is saying that, you know what? You're not your own master. You don't originate life. It's borrowed. There's no life force in you. It comes from me. And isn't this the same spiritual truth that we learn in the New Testament? That the life that we have the spiritual life that we have in our salvation, it's not, it's not of ourselves. It's from Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2.20 this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The spiritual truth that's being here is, that life comes from God. And as such, not only are we to enjoy it, but we are to protect it. In verse 4, it talks about protecting life. But you must not eat meat that still has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting, says God, from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. For whoever sheds human blood, by human shall their blood be shed. For 
in the image of God has God made mankind. Wow. Don't eat meat with the lifeblood still in it. Just because we've been given, again, it, it highlights the, the sacredness of life, does it not? Just because we've been given the opportunity to uh, kill animals doesn't mean it's an invitation to savagery. And if you're hunters, you probably have had the conversation with those who hunt with you, your children, right? We're not just killing indiscriminately. If we're hunting, we're going to eat what we kill. Pretty important lesson. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to demand an accounting. Why? Because life is sacred. I'm going to demand it. Even if an, if, if an animal is sacred, how much more is human life sacred? That's what's saying here, right? We must recognize that the authority over life is God's. A person is sacred to God. God is the only one that has the right to take the life. And God says, if anyone takes a human life, I will demand an accounting. It's not a verse we often read, is it? He's going to demand an accounting. It's always paid, and the cost is really high. Life is in the blood, in our blood. We must remember that it's God's property, not ours. We don't impart life. We don't originate it. It doesn't belong to us. And attacking another human is to attack God. That's really what's at stake here. His image is at stake. But he then gives the responsibility over to humans to deal with that. It's called capital punishment. Many have noticed that the, in, the beginning of human government is being established here. God has given the authority to humans to hold humans accountable for him. In the context, right, we have this directive and the offense is not just against the murdered. It's not against the family, though both would be deeply affected. The offense is against God. And so it's not talking about avenging other people who might attack or kill someone you love. That's not what it's talking about. All throughout the Bible, God says, it's mine to avenge, not yours. That's not what's going on here. What's going on is he's establishing how this is to be dealt with. He's Cain killed his brother, and he's reestablishing that is not okay. When you read the Bible, there's just a few institutions that God has established. The family in Genesis 1, human government here, and the church in Acts chapter 2. And here's the thing, and we all know this. In, e in all of those institutions, they're made up of fallen, broken people. That means that you can have real damage in your family caused by another. That means that there can be real problems with human government. It can be crooked, it can be dirty, it can be not effective. And there can be real problems and hurt and manipulation in the church. We, we know this. And so when it comes to capital punishment, this is when we have to say, man, we need to make sure our systems work and we have honest processes. I don't want to dive too deeply into this because I'm sure there's a, a varied opinion over the subject matter. I just want you to know if you've ever wondered, where would that originate? Where would the idea originate? It's here. This is where it originates. And I just want to kind of close out this by saying God has given authority to governments. We often, you know, in a political system, where there's all kinds of ideas. So let's look at, at, at uh, Romans 13, verse 4. We started in Romans 8, but here in verse 13, it says this, the authorities are God's servants. The governmental authorities is what it's talking about. Sent for your good. 
But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. Paul writes this during uh, Roman occupation. So he's just, a he's just talking about God's plan. And it needs to be noticed that even animals that kill humans are held accountable. Why is that? Because that's how sacred human life is in all of its forms and all of its... So only God has the right to take it. And it can only be taken under its prescribed conditions. Cain was the, killed his brother. After that, the world was filled with violence. And God is saying in this new beginning, hey, this is not to continue. This is not to continue. And then in verse 7 of chapter 9, we have, a, uh, we have the statement again to Adam, I mean, excuse me, to Noah. As for you, be fruitful, increase in no, uh, number, and multiply on the earth and increase upon it. That's how, you know, let's get this straight. And then God's going to establish covenant with Noah and humanity. Noah and humanity. It's the first covenant in the Bible. Verse 8 of chapter 9 says this, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him. No, he's not speaking to himself anymore. He's talking to Noah. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is um, with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the animals and all that came out of the ark with you. Every living creature on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God is making the covenant with Noah, sure, but with the emerging humanity, all the creatures. He's making it. And like we said earlier in chapter 6, when he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, this is a unilateral covenant. It's not based on humanity's response. It's only based on God. He's the one who keeps it. It's not bilateral. It's not based on what each party does. It's based solely on what God does. And he says, never again am I going to flood the earth, destroy the earth with floodwaters. That's important. It says it twice. Can you imagine getting off the boat and the sunshine and things are beginning to spring up and then you hear the rumble of lightning or thunder and you're just like, oh no. You talk about PTSD. P P well, how are you saying that? You talk about, you know, a trigger the next rain, you start wondering, oh my gosh. And he said, nope, you never, ever have to worry about that again. Now, we've been asking for rain because it's been so dry. But if you were here in, in 2016, you saw 3 trillion gallons of water fall in 36 hours. If you were in Houston the next year, 2017, Hurricane Harvey, 9 trillions of gallons in the same amount of time. But guess what? It stopped. It stopped. And it will continue to stop. And then God says, look, not only am I going to make a covenant, I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign is the rainbow. Verse 12 through 17. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. Every, every, you, everybody with you, all the animals with you, and all your descendants. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring 
clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy life. He says it yet again. And the rainbow, oddly enough, is a reminder not only to us, but to God himself. I don't know about you, but sometimes having read this, I look at the rainbow and say to myself, he sees it too. He sees it too. Verse 16, and whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the creatures of every kind. And so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and the rest of life, this rainbow. Now, some Hebrew scholars are going to say, because the word is just bow, you have to kind of get rainbow from the context, the clouds and all this. It's clearly talking about a rainbow, but some, some see it as a bow on its side a warrior's bow that's now come to rest and God is not angry. I think rainbow fits better. I don't know about you, but you can see a rainbow, you know, before the storm happens sometimes as the clouds form. You can see it as the storm is happening. And sometimes, like Noah, you have to, you have to see it afterwards. Here's the question. If, we're, if appropriate response to our salvation is to worship dedicatedly, but also to live fully, protecting life and enjoying life with full of hope because there's God's going to always have seasons. Why do we worry? God, God hasn't promised us that, that there won't be storms in this life. He's just promised that they're not dis designed to destroy you. Shouldn't that bring us some level of comfort? Isaiah chapter 43, 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. They're not there to destroy you. When clouds appear in your life and the sun is hard to see, look for the rainbow. The, the apostle John in the book of Revelation said he saw a rainbow before the storm. The prophet Ezekiel said he saw the rainbow in the storm. Noah would see it afterwards. I don't know what's going on in your life, but look for the rainbow. Now, this, I'm not just trying to paint a silver lining on difficulty. I'm trying to say that God is not out to crush us. And life can be really hard. And it can be so hard for so long, sometimes you can think, he's forgotten me, he doesn't care about me, he's trying to crush me. How long, how long have you looked over the bow of the boat you're on and not seen a shoreline? Has it been a year? It's been over a year? You feel like you're living on a ship with a bunch of animals? <laughs> Don't answer that. Could be incriminating. That's where Noah was. I feel like this is kind of that promise we have in the New Testament. In Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. That's what this rainbow begins to represent. We're to worship God in dedication. That's, that's Noah's first response. Then we're to live life. We're to enjoy it. We're to protect it. We're to live it without fear. We're to live the abundant life that Jesus called us to. Now we have a new covenant in Jesus Christ. Not, not just Noah's covenant, a new covenant. Jesus came and he said, I established the new covenant, how? In my blood with my life and with my death. A synonym for blood, when you read it throughout the Bible, is death. 
I'm going to establish the new covenant with my own death. I'm going to give my life in your place so that you might experience salvation. It is the forgiveness of sins. It is a new start. It's a new heart. It's a new hope. It's a new day. It's a new beginning. It's mentioned in the Old Testament in various places, but one of those is in Ezekiel 36. Here's what it says. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Wow. No wonder they longed for it. A new heart, a new disposition, a new power. Now it's not just what I have to do in worship. Lord, would you, would you allow your spirit to take over so I might worship you fully, completely, totally? Would you, would you help me live this day without fear? Would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? Would you put a, a smile on my face and joy in my heart? so that I might engage this world as salt and light. I might be a person who serves and gives. I might be a person who invites and includes. You know, the power of an invitation is so strong, but if it includes inclusion, right? Don't just, don't just come, come and be a part. Come and be a part of our family. Come and be a part of my house and home. We have a family guest, and I told her yesterday, I said, I just want you to know you're always welcome. She's a young mom. She was putting on her makeup as I was talking to her. And she looked at me and she said, always? I said, yes, always. That's, that's just so different. So what is an appropriate response to salvation? to come in complete dedication, to live the abundant life without fear. So what's holding you back? What's holding you back? What are you carrying that you need to put down so that you can then bring your whole self to God? As I said earlier, the Apostle Peter says, what happened with Noah is very much like our personal salvation. This is 1 Peter chapter 3 from the message. It says this, you know even though God waited patiently all the days that Noah built his ship, his ark, only a few were saved, eight to be exact, saved from the water by the water. The waters of baptism do the same for you, not by washing away dirt from your skin, but by presenting you through Jesus' resurrection before God with a clear conscience. Last week, in one of the services at this location, there was a baptism. Last week, at our college services, there were some baptisms. I want to share one of those with you. I want to invite you to also. You should go, as God gives you opportunity, just schedule it to one of the college services. You need to see what God is doing in our church through your partnership as he helps us send people around the world. But this is Nick. And Nick will tell you his story. It's just, a, just about a minute. And oh, wait, before we play it, the pause. Thank you. Um, you, hear the, you hear the applause? It, it's just like, it's just, it's awesome. So this is what I need you to do when you finish. You don't know Nick. You haven't met Nick. You're not there. This happened last week. I still want you to clap, okay? 
And we're not clapping for Nick. We're, we're trying to join in the celebration with the angels who rejoice over one sinner who repents. Okay, thank you, Anna. All right, I'm Nick, and here's my testimony. Over the past few years, I have placed all my value on my grades and the future job that I was hoping for. I would take six and seven classes per semester to help achieve my goals. I became pretty unsocial and was apathetic towards almost everything else in my life. The only thing I was living for was graduating and then securing a high-paying job. Looking back, I felt like a robot. My friend Kyle invited me to refuge last fall. I was not all that interested. I came to a few services, but really did not do much else in terms of my faith. For reasons I didn't even know, I decided to keep coming during the spring, although I did not grow my faith then either, and I was a pretty extreme skeptic. Over the course of the summer, I made it a goal to figure out for myself whether or not God is real. I spent months studying the Bible, being very critical of it, scrutinizing his claims and researching what content in the Bible is compatible with history and science. I asked a lot of tough questions and was not shy to be critical with answers that I did not think made sense or should be accepted, but I also gave credit to answers that were reasonable. I talked with several people around refuge about different historical and theological topics pertaining to God in the Bible. Once August came around, I began to think more deeply about what was going on with Jesus and more specifically his resurrection. The followers of Jesus truly believed that he resurrected and there's pretty strong evidence that this was their belief from the very, very beginning. But when I started praying, I noticed several, several different prayers get answered. This happened probably a dozen times in ways that I could no longer ignore. Once I put all this together in my head, the only conclusion that I could make was that Jesus did resurrect and there was a God listening to and answering my prayers. Tonight I'm getting baptized because it's what God explicitly calls us to do. Since putting my faith in Jesus to forgive me of my sins, integrating God's word into my life has been huge. I very quickly went from living how I wanted to live to feeling challenged to live more like how God wants me to. Within a few weeks, following Jesus became to began to dominate my mind. Acting on the desire has been more fulfilling than anything else I can even remember doing. I no longer feel like a robot. After coming to Jesus, I feel like I regained my consciousness. This is my story. Yeah, we're going all the way. We're going to do the whole, we're going to see the whole thing. A little excessive, huh, gentlemen? <laughs> it's all right. These guys obviously mean a lot to Nick. So, Nick, is it true that Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? Then with that profession of faith, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death, and raised to walk in a new way of life. Obviously, a response to salvation is baptism. Maybe that's your next step. Obviously, a response is to celebrate and to worship wholeheartedly. Clearly, a response is to live fully from Jesus 
for Jesus as he empowers us to live. Next week, we'll see a different chapter in Noah's life. But right now, it's flying high. It's really good. I hope you leave today taking an opportunity to say, God, I need a new beginning. We're going we're gonna to close our service with this song. Uh, uh, what's the name of it, Connor? The Blessing. I was going to say The Blessed, but I knew that was wrong. So my bad. Um, and as the, as the band makes their way up, it's just a beautiful song. We've sung it many times here. I'd ask you to lean in, as old Andrew Bates used to say. Lean in and be blessed to be a blessing. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for Nick's journey, and I pray for all of us here today. We thank you for um, Noah's faithfulness. You're, you're a God of new beginnings. And so, Lord, I pray for those here today that need to confess a sin, that they would do it that need the joy of their salvation restored, that you would do it, that need to trust you for the very first time, no longer holding on to the past failures or successes, but would lay all that down and come to you. Lord, I pray for those that may be in the room like Nick that have lots of questions. I pray that they would have the courage to investigate them as he did. But Lord, we're so grateful that you're the God of new beginnings and you give us one in Jesus Christ, that's renewed day to day, season to season, as we come to you with a heart of thanksgiving, as we live from you and for you, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Work in our church, and we be a people that are filled to the fullness of Christ, that it overflows into our city, onto our campus, and around the world. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To find out more about the chapel, visit thechapelbr.com.